Hello and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This is a fortnightly look at the technologies that are going to affect our lives in, wait for it, the near future. In this episode, we're returning to the theme of security, this time looking at deception technology. Now this isn't stuff that deceives you as the end user, far from it. It's designed to fool the hacker, helping the people who are defending your intellectual property to make it robust. So hacking the hackers, not so much a life hack as a sort of hack hack. Yeah, okay, look, putting myself together, let's introduce our guest for the day. She's given talks at events around the world and was recently named as one of the top 25 women in cybersecurity 2019 by Cyber Defense Magazine. On LinkedIn, she describes herself as a high-impact technology executive with over 30 years of experience in building new markets and successful enterprise infrastructure companies. She's Chief Security Advocate and Chief Marketing Officer at Ativo Networks, and her name is Carolyn Crandall. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you for having me here today. You're more than welcome. First, perhaps you could uh, tell me a little bit about Ativo. Ativo Networks is a cybersecurity company, and we focus specifically on detecting the attackers that are inside of the network. So there's a lot of technology that's out there today to prevent them from getting in, but there's a general lack of visibility for being able to detect an attacker's lateral movement inside the network. And so Ativo uses a variety of different tips and tricks, including deception technology, to trick the uh, attacker into revealing themselves and letting the defenders have a chance to get them out of their networks. So when you say inside the network, are we necessarily talking about insiders in an, an organization or are we talking potentially about someone who has already got in? Yeah, both as a matter of fact. It's uh, it's really about whether a person is inside as an employee or a supplier or a contractor that maybe has access to information and decides to go and try to get into things that they shouldn't. Or it could be an attacker such as an external ransomware attacker or some other type of threat actor that is trying to steal company data, personal information, you know, new vaccine information. But there's a lot of attackers, both internal and external, that are looking to get monetary gains from stealing information from companies or disrupting services. And so we help um, reduce which is what is called the dwell time. So that's the amount of time it takes them once they've started to move around uh, on the network uh, and be able to, uh, again, flush them out of the system so they can't cause any harm. Okay, it sounds quite fun, uh, technology that fools the hacker. I'm just wondering how that actually works. Do you look for odd behaviours, wrong passwords? What are the metrics that, uh, that, that give you the clue that something's going on? It generally helps to think about this in the context of how attackers work and how attackers use deception against us. And so there's a lot of uh, information out there about what's called an attacker kill chain or an attack framework and uh, MITRE attack framework. And these are things that lay out how an attacker attacks. And it's really hard, given the sophistication of attackers today, to anticipate every single activity that they're going to do and how they're going to do it and all the little modifications that they can do to get by a company's defenses. And so what deception does, and it's kind of an age-old thing, right? If you lay traps for an attacker, you kind of know how they're going to come in, you know how they're going to move. And so you set up these landmines to trip them up. And it's a very effective and efficient way for disrupting that attack process so that an attacker can understand if they've got nefarious activity going on in, inside of their organization. And so... Um, 
And then that's really the, you know, none of it. And again, there's a bunch of different, you know, tips and tricks that you can do to conceal information so you can hide the things that the attacker is looking for, such as the actual data or the credentials they may need. Um, you can throw them off uh, their game by misdirecting them with fake information and away from their targets and into a decoy environment. Um, you can also hide real assets among decoys so that um, the attacker is more attracted to the decoy. And again, it takes them away from being able to complete their mission and lets the defenders know that there's something going on so they can they can boot them out of the system. I love the idea of hiding things in plain sight. That's uh, not so much a technology technique as going all the way back to Edgar Allan Poe in the 19th century. <laughs> people having to know that sort of thing nonetheless very effective so i take it this is something the corporate market rather than the smaller business or even the consumer is going to be aware of and take advantage of have i read that right well it's definitely for all enterprises of all sizes um Ativo, for example sells to over 50 percent of the fortune 10 However, um, about two thirds of our customer base is for employee size of 5,000 or less and the needs are a little bit different, right? If you're a very large organization, you're probably targeted by uh, very advanced attackers. However, there's a lot of things out there today like ransomware kits and attackers that can get in for a very low cost of entry that they're not gonna go after the big guys. They're gonna go after the smaller organization because they know that the defenses are not as sophisticated and that they can get in and um, be able to conduct a smaller attack, but but probably less one with less friction and more likelihood, say, for example, in a ransomware attack, that that small organization would simply pay versus trying to fight. The other thing that we find is the smaller organizations don't really have a sophisticated of, of defenses. And so this gives a very simple and high fidelity alert to a security team, or even if they don't have a security team, simply to that organization that something is wrong. And either they can try to remediate themselves or they can get remediation support from their partner. But it's different than a lot of the other technologies that are trying to do behavioral matching and, and pattern matching and best guessing as to whether something wrong is going inside of uh, on inside of the network. And the problem with that is, is that it does generate a lot of false positive activity and a lot of investigation work. And a lot of these small companies just simply don't have the resources to be able to deal with that. So the subject is pretty black and white, right? So whether you're touching a decoy or trying to steal a lure, I mean, there's really no reason for anybody to touch those things. So even a small company will get a very high fidelity alert and they know it's something that they need to pay attention to. And they get the additional benefit because a decoy looks so real to the attacker, they try to engage with it to try to advance their attack and get to the things that they want. So it really reduces the investigation time for a small company because they get all of the information about the tools, the techniques, the procedures the attacker is using, maybe the indicators of compromise, really the, the rich information they need to, again, shut it down, but also to eradicate it. Because we know that these attackers like to return because they know that people don't always do a great job of patching things. So this, again, gives them all that information so they can look for it in all parts of the network and make sure they truly remove the threat. And the other thing, of course, is uh, that uh, particularly in the smaller companies, perhaps who have rules-based rather than technology-based uh, uh, defenses, it was put to me a while ago that uh, there are some companies out there who have clicking a, a dodgy link, to use a non-technical term, uh, as a sackable offence. You know, that certainly happens in some organisations, that uh, the, the person who clicks it will pay rather than lose their job. So it may not actually get escalated as far as the, uh, so whatever tech team there is in place. Uh, so I, I suppose, you know, detecting these things in advance becomes increasingly important. 
Yeah, the sooner you can detect these activities, you know, obviously the less magnitude of the attack, right? If you let, um, as we've seen in these very high profile breaches, if you let an attacker sit in your network for months to even years, they're going to be able to do all kinds of disruptive things, not only be able to steal the data or have a ransomware attack, but even just think about the implications if, if people have heard of this big solar winds attack, where they go in and they change security policies and they can even use it as a supply chain attack, where in that case, it went from one to over 18,000, you know, companies that could potentially have been affected. And so, again, the sooner you can detect these things, the less cleanup you have for your company, but the less chance you can also compromise potentially your customers as well, or other folks in the supply chain. Okay, so how well established is this technology? Uh, has it been going for a while? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, by nature, deception is not something that people want to talk about, right? They don't want to tip off the attackers that they're using that technology. Um, and a lot of cases, back to that point of internal versus external threat actors, a lot of times it's used as an employee system so that they can detect if there are any insider threats that are doing things inside of the uh, the network that they, they shouldn't. And, you know, sometimes people are just curious. Uh, they want to go into payroll and see what other people are making. And other times they're stealing IP so that they can sell it for, you know, for monetary gain. And so um, it's really out there a lot more than than what we recognize and we know, um, just because people like to keep it uh, to keep it quiet. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted, or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk, and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. Yes, I find that when I'm writing about uh, security issues, it can get very difficult because you, you're looking for a case study and no bank really wants to say, oh, yeah, we lost 25,000 um, customer details only last week. They're not going to publicize that. And in the same way, if they did uh, lose uh, those details or if they stopped somebody stealing those details or something, they're not going to want to explain how it was done because then uh, the, uh, the hackers are on the alert. I quite appreciate that. But it is a sort of progress, though. And speaking of things progressing, this is a futurist show. So let's have a think about what threats are coming up. I mean, when I started as a journalist, you're considered pretty much safe if you had an antivirus, which is basically me telling everybody how old I am or whether I used to be perhaps very naive or something. I'm just wondering what people need to watch for now in terms of security suites and what sort of threats you anticipate emerging in the future. And sadly, you know, multivirus is not enough. And even the the you know, billions to trillions of dollars that have been spent on cybersecurity, you know, is showing that it's not enough. I mean, you've seen some of the very, very sophisticated attacks that have happened on on great security companies. And it's not that they're, um, you know, not robust with technology. It's that these attackers are very sophisticated and they have a lot of resources and they have a commercialized marketplace where they can even go in and buy the things that they don't have or outsource activities so that they can move quickly and stealthily. And so I think if we if we look at what the future is going to bring, um, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. We talk about increased compute power. We talk about quantum computing. And if you think about that technology in the, the hands of an attacker, they can get extremely sophisticated, even more so than they are today. 
And so if we try to keep up with them by trying to guess every signature or pattern that they're going to use, it's going to become a never ending uh, you know, battle and, and one that we'll probably lose. And so I think we have to think differently about cybersecurity and set a different architecture that looks a lot more for vulnerabilities, right? So we have better visibility to when there are things that an attacker could use to exploit and progress their attacks. Um, I think that deception should become a de facto standard for every organization, because if you can't anticipate everything that the attacker is going to do, the most efficient and effective way is to set traps and lures. You know, we've been doing this for decades in all kinds of war and military and and other tactics for beating an opponent. Um, so now it's time for us to kind of put on a proverbial poker faces and uh, trick them into, you know, trick them into revealing themselves to, despite how sophisticated of an attack it is. The other thing I'll go back to is, is just what we talked about very early on in this is that, you know, so much money has been built into that perimeter defense, but regardless of how they're going to get in, because they will get in, there needs to be a bigger investment in detecting what's called the lateral movement. And that's how an attacker moves from one system to another or the privileged access that they get. And, and that privileged access is particularly deadly because if I can erase my tracks, if I can change security settings, if I can set up new administrator rights to change things inside of the network, I can cause devastating damage that becomes very, very difficult to track. And so I think what we need to do as, as a global community is to approach security a little differently. Of course, prevent what you can, but understand that you need to look for that attacker activity as they move inside of your organization. And you also need to factor in as more and more uh, companies go to the cloud, that the problems don't go away with cloud. It's just, again, a different architecture, but you need to, again, be able to detect that attacker activity quickly or those misconfigurations quickly so that they don't get that chance to, uh, to conduct their attack. Yes, I think a lot of people talk about perimeter defense when actually the perimeter has moved several times over the year and the years, and they may still be well over the last year as well, of course. Uh, but they may still be uh, using the same old uh, sorts of defense. I'm wondering also whether though we need to continue to reiterate all those other precautions people should be taking. Um, I mean, if you just look at, for example, uh, the amount of conspiracy theorists who think that uh, Bill Gates is trying to steal all their data and uh, he's putting it into uh, the coronavirus vaccine or something. And they're reporting all this stuff and putting these theories out there on uh, on Facebook uh, using their phones. And the amount of data they've handed over to Facebook already is just absurd. You know, there's no coherence in this, but are we too eager to hand over our data to just about everybody who who asks and looks vaguely plausible. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a mind bending conversation, honestly, because if you think about not only the data you've given at Facebook, but even the data you haven't thought about. And if you think about what even happened with coronavirus today, and, you know, there's a lot of things like the Chinese government has offered to be able to um, take the information, analyze it, look for trends and patterns. And it's really about understanding human DNA. And so we're giving up a lot of information right now inside of our testing, um, whether it be for the vaccine, vac vaccination or whether it's for, uh, the, you know, just understanding how coronavirus works. The next round of information is really going to be not just what you put up on your Facebook account, but it's about your personal DNA, how your body works, what you're more susceptible to. And if you look at the uh, organizations that are able to figure that out and anticipate and even pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, guy, do you realize that you're really susceptible to cancer in the next five years? And if you start taking my medication now, 
you're going to reduce the chance of that by 100% or 80%. And that becomes very powerful for controlling, you know, individual people and what we do and how we operate as a society. And that is very real. Um, It's just a matter of time. But I think we need to really look at not only just, again, what we put out there on personal data, but what we inadvertently give away with like an Ancestry.com what we give away with their vaccination uh, information and other things. So again, the world is changing. It's all about data. It's all about calculations and computation. And um, you know, those that stay very astute and aware to those things will be able to help control their destiny and, and what happens to them and their information. But it is going to change a lot over the next 10 to 20 years. Okay, as you say, that's pretty mind-blowing. I'd like to move on to another topic, something that caught my eye in your LinkedIn profile. You've had an award as a woman in cybersecurity. Um, That's great and it's excellent. It's 2021 now. Why is this still a thing? Yeah, it's it's still sad why, why we have such a low number of women in cybersecurity and in technology. And, and quite honestly, you know, COVID hasn't helped the situation at all. You know, cyber isn't a nine nine to five job and it's quite demanding. And I suppose this has a negative appeal to a lot of women. Um, Sometimes it can be a little bit unwelcoming and hard on newcomers. Um, And so we really need to um, continue to change things. I think there's a lot of good strides that have been made and opening up our opportunities for women. But I still think there's there's a lot to be done. Um, I love the recognition of the women. I love some of the causes of the um, big trade shows and events to to kind of command a certain number of women to be represented, because that's also how women will get comfort and credibility and be able to be seen as an equal to men is, is to continue to give this small population maybe a little bit of an unfair push uh, for a little bit to try to even it out. And as we do that, I think we will continue to see more women enter uh, cybersecurity. But but for that to happen, we've got to remain very welcoming and uh, open and, and give the opportunity for women to establish themselves. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, if any of our listeners are running their own businesses or even directors of uh, large corporations, I know a number of them are, what action should they be taking now to make sure these opportunities do come up in the future? Well, you know, it may sound funny to say relax the criteria, but I say this because women tend to want to check all the boxes. Like, I want to make sure I can crush this. If I go take the job, I know how to do everything with it. Or I tend to see that men stretch a little bit little bit more. So maybe by being a little bit more open on the criteria, um, it'll encourage more women to, um, to join in. And then also create a learning environment so that women can feel comfortable. Hey, if I checked eight out of the 10 boxes, the company is going to support me as I learn those other two versus go, hey, in 90 days, you couldn't do all these things. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go get rid of you at that point. But I really do think that the combination of those things is make it a little bit more welcoming on the application and then then create the learning environment to fill in, uh, fill in the rest of the boxes. And, and the other thing I'll add is, is there's more jobs supporting cyber than um, just engineering. So, you know, be open. If you're a woman out there, think about product management, product marketing, marketing, other jobs that you don't have to be quite as technical as an engineer, but gives you a nice way to get in and get into the world of cyber because it is truly a very fun and exciting industry. I always say walk with swagger, right? You know, it's people will tell you if they don't feel like you're fully qualified to do the job or where the gaps are, or you just tackle them head on. But if you don't stretch, then you won't, you you won't go to the next level. Again, as they say, if you don't apply, you won't get the job. 
And I've always taken kind of the mantra of each job I've taken has terrified me in a little bit, <laughs> a little bit in, in a variety of different ways, because I'm always stretching to the next level. And um, I find it exciting and invigorating. And you surround yourself with people that maybe can help fill in the gaps. But um, if you're determined, you will be successful. I'm, I'm very confident in that. Okay. And finally, how can listeners find out more about you and uh, what you do in your organization? Absolutely. Um, you can reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, TiVo Networks at just ativonetworks.com. Um, I often speak at uh, different events, so you can generally find me in different forums or podcasts or on Bright Talk. Um, and I also have a book on deception technology. If uh, anybody is interested in reading it, it's actually an ebook form on the Ativo website as well. Carolyn Crandall of Ativo Networks, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me here today. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time.